0: This is part one titled Revelation in this sermon series on our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. Be enriched as you listen.
1: We're going to spend some time in God's Word together. Over the last several weeks, I think five weeks, we did a series called Spiritual Realities. Uh, we did that intentionally uh, to awaken our understanding to the unseen realm, uh, the spiritual realm, and understand some of the dynamics of how the spiritual and the natural interact or interplay. And our part in seeing or engaging in both these realms. So we spent some time uh, the last few weeks on those topics and themes. And uh, one of the things that we wanted to do was right after that, move into uh, a rather lengthy study on our identity in Christ. And so we're going to start that today. We're going to start, start talking about our identity in Christ, discovering who we are in Christ Jesus. So we're going to spend some time talking about that. Uh, In fact, we're going to spend uh, several weeks, uh, probably a couple of months on this theme. Uh, It is something that we have spoken of in times past, uh, but we need to come back to it. We need to spend time in it again. For some of you, uh, this study on who we are in Christ is something you are familiar with, but it's always good to go back, refresh ourselves in this truth. And uh, the fact is, each time we go back and study a subject or a topic or a theme, uh, we will discover something new. We will understand something afresh uh, that we did not understand before. So it's always good to keep going back and revisiting some of these topics. Now, one of the things I uh, have recognized is that a lot of new believers, meaning Those who have come to the faith recently or those who have uh, started engaging with the word of God recently. They may have been believers for a long time, but not really spent time in the word and in the work of the Holy Spirit. And so that journey may be new to them. Uh, Many such people are unaware of this powerful truth of our identity in Christ. So the contemporary church really uh, uh, has not been... You know, well-taught, well-grounded in this area, and so uh, it's really worthwhile for us to go back and study this, not only for the benefit of those of us who are familiar with it, but also for the benefit of those who are maybe new uh, to these uh, uh, things, and so all of us will benefit. So today, in this first message in the series, which is more of an introduction, I want to awaken our hearts and minds to this truth of our identity in Christ, uh, just to introduce this subject to us. Now, just for the sake of illustration, just for the sake of example, think about uh, an orphan kid or an orphan young boy living in the slums. Now, some people may be able to understand what I'm saying. Some may not. You may not have seen a slum. You don't know what it is, but uh, some of us would understand it. And I'm just using this as an illustration. So think about a young boy, orphaned in the slums. He doesn't have much of a hope for a future. He lives day to day, meal to meal, surviving. Uh, His whole mindset is, how do I survive the next moment? There could be others who are, you uh, you know, who... Uh, ill-treat him, mistreat him. He doesn't have much to his name. Probably, uh, the, the clothes he wears is all that he has, and uh, he sleeps here and there at uh, at night, and nothing much. Uh, in a very, very uh, sad condition. No hope for the future. Now, think about, just imagine if this orphaned slum boy is adopted by a very wealthy man in the city. He notices this little boy, feels compassion. He says, you know, I can afford to give him a future. And so he adopts this boy and brings him to his mansion or his dwelling. And uh, this boy is bathed and cleaned and given really good clothes. He's got a big room for himself, comfortable bed and he is now uh, adopted into this wealthy family he is uh, he has given everything uh, he can you know he can uh, there's plenty of food in this home there are loving people all, all around him and uh, he's part of this family uh, he's loved he's cared for he you know the the, the man and his family uh, lavish everything on him just like as one of their own uh, children And he grows up, you know, he has the opportunity to grow up in this home. He carries uh, the family name. Uh, People, uh, you know, recognize him now as part of the family. So imagine what a change this would be for that once orphaned boy in the slums. But for this boy to adapt to the change that has taken place in his life, several important things have to happen. He has to change his thinking. He has to shift his thinking from being a slum boy, uh, orphaned slum boy, to being now part of this wealthy family. He's got to change his thinking. If he does not change his thinking, and he's living in this luxurious home, but if he thinks like that orphan slum boy, there's going to be a lot of problems. You can imagine what his behavior would be like. you know he would come to the dining table and he would pack a few pieces of bread into his you know pocket, thinking that, "Hey, I need to do this because I don't know if I'm going to get my next meal because he's still thinking like the orphan slum boy that he used to be, or you know he goes and takes things out of the fridge and keeps it in his room, not sure whether you know, there will be anything uh, left for dinner, or if he thinks like everybody does not like him, and so he gets into you know he 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 feels he carries within himself a sense of rejection. Nobody loves me, even though the family is you know pouring their love on him. He feels rejected, and and also he gets into uh, he he's very suspicious of every family member. He doesn't have good relationships with them. When he goes out, uh, you know he still thinks like the what he used to be, the orphan slum boy, he's not going to be able to you know, fit into all the things that have actually changed in his life. So there has to be a huge shift in his thinking, in his behavior, and his living. He has to adapt, he has to change now to this thing that has happened in his life. Now, this illustrates, in, to some measure, what God has done for us in Christ what the bible tells us and which, which is really what we're going to be studying in this series on our identity in christ is that god has taken us once people who once were sinners who were outcasts who were far away from the presence of god and god by his own choice by his own predetermined purpose and by an act of his own doing brought us in to his own family, not just his own family, he brought us into Christ. He placed us in Christ. The Bible tells us he made us spiritually one with Jesus. And that's what in, being in Christ means. We are one with Christ spiritually. So people who are dead in sin, are totally outcast from the presence of God because of all the wrong and the filth that we were in, are now cleansed, made clean, clothed with righteousness and placed in Christ. And so our whole identity has been changed. Our identity is completely different. We are now in Christ. And he has lavished us with his grace. And he has bestowed on us a rich inheritance. And he already has finished this work. And then he says, okay, I want you to live out of what I've done for you in Christ. Live out of your new identity. Enjoy your new inheritance that you have in Christ. And live out of the grace that I've lavished on your life In Christ. Now God did this for us the moment we were born again. The moment you said, Jesus, come into my life, forgive my sins, make me a child of God. The moment you put your faith in Jesus and trusted him, God did this. He took you out from being that orphan slum boy. And he brought you in to this beautiful, powerful place of being in Christ with a new identity Lavished with grace and a new inheritance bestowed on your life. But many believers, they are truly saved, they are born again, but they have almost no understanding or a very minimal understanding of what it means to be in Christ. And so the thinking has not changed, uh, the way of life has not changed, and the behavior has not changed. And so, although they have become true believers. They are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are, many are not living out of the fullness of, of that place in Christ. You know, and uh, uh, it, it, is very, it is very sad to see that. So the whole objective, the objective of this series of studies of our identity in Christ is to help us understand who we are in Christ Jesus, the grace that God has poured out on our lives in Christ, and the rich inheritance he has given to us in Christ. And our goal is to learn to live out of that in our everyday lives. You know, and as we journey through uh, the weeks to come, this truth is going to transform. It's going to really change our lives. And let me just list out some of the ways this truth is going to affect our lives. It will change our self-image, how you see yourself. You and I, we will learn to look at ourselves out of our new identity in Christ. We'll learn to live out of the fact that we have been lavished with grace by God. We will learn to live out of the fact that we have a rich inheritance. Our self-image will change. We will learn to say that who we are in Christ is who we really are. Secondly, this truth will change the way we relate to God. I mean, when we understand that this is what God has done for us, and he invites us to, you know, come freely into his presence, we will not approach God as, uh, you know, uh, somebody who's always trying to please him or appease him or, uh, you know, uh, some, as if God is angry with us, but we will understand that we are accepted, we are loved, we are welcomed into the very presence of God. And so we can come freely into his presence and the way we relate to God will totally change. Uh, thirdly, it'll, way, it'll change the way we face life's challenges and difficulties. When, when, we, you know, when we face challenges and difficulties in life, which all of us will, we will learn to look at them from our place in Christ we will learn to look at them as more than conquerors. We will learn to look at them knowing that God will cause us to triumph in Christ. We, uh, we will look at them not as victims, not as people who are going to be defeated, not as people who have without hope. But when we look at the challenges and the difficulties that we face in life, we will look at them in a very totally different perspective when we learn of our identity in Christ. It will change our lifestyle. We will live as overcomers. We'll overcome sin, our sinful patterns. We'll, you know, we'll be transformed from inside out, and we will be more and more like Jesus Christ. It'll change the way we live. It'll also change the way we face demon, demonic powers and uh, Satan and his demons. Uh, we'll be fearless. We'll be bold. We will walk uh, with with an, a sense of absolute mastery and dominion in the face of demonic powers. You know, so many believers are afraid of what the devil will do to them. But we need to understand the devil is more afraid of what we will do to him, really, when we know of our identity in Christ. We'll walk with a sense of mastery over Satan and his demons. It'll also change the way we relate to people. We will learn to look at people in a very different way. uh, The way we relate to them. We can walk in love, we can walk in compassion. Uh, we will not walk with a sense of uh, you know, competition or feelings of inferiority or any of that. It'll change the way we actually interact with people uh, when we understand our identity in Christ. So really, uh, this truth understanding who we are in Christ our identity in Christ is so really important and so powerful that every believer must be deeply rooted and established in this truth and continue to keep growing you know it's not enough to say well i heard this thing 5 years ago or 10 years ago or 30 years ago now if we need to keep on growing there's so much more that 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 for, is the, so much more in the word of god to discover about our identity our inheritance in Christ. So let's begin with this. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time in scripture, so I hope you got your Bibles in front of you to turn with me uh, to the scriptures. Of course, um, our media team will help us by putting the scriptures on the screen as well. So either way, uh, it's good for us to read the scriptures and see these truths uh, in them for ourselves. All right, so we're going to spend some time in the Word. I hope you're really excited about God's word, it is powerful. It's wonderful, and that uh, you will never get tired of uh, searching, studying, and delving into the Word of God. So let's get started. We're going to go first to John chapter fourteen, uh, verses nineteen and twenty. We will start there. And Jesus said in John fourteen, verses nineteen and twenty, He said, "A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you will live also." at that day you will know that I am in my father, you in me, and I in you. So uh, John 14, 15 onwards, all of those chapters are towards the end of Jesus's earthly ministry and his time with his disciples. So it's towards the latter part of that three and a half years that he had spent with his disciples. In fact, this is approaching the time when he was soon to be crucified. And in preparation for, you know, his departure, he tells his disciples, you see, I'm uh, in a little while and, you know, I'm going to be gone. You're not going to see me. But I want you to know, because I live, you will also live. He's telling them about his resurrection. He's going to rise up. And then in verse 30, he says, and in that day, so he's referring to a future time, a time after his resurrection. In that day, he says, you will know, that means you are going to receive a revelation of something. You will know what? That I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So he says, you're going to receive a revelation post my resurrection. You're going to get an understanding of your union with me. I am in you, and you are in me. says so that revelation is coming. And that's the revelation The Apostle Paul and the other apostles who wrote the New Testament scriptures bring out to us in the episodes that we begin to understand the unveiling of this mystery, of this truth. Jesus said in that day you will know, you're going to receive this revelation that you are in me and I am in you. There's this wonderful union uh, and that's the revelation we're going to unveil. It has been recorded for us in the writings Of the apostles, in John fifteen again, a very well known passage, verses one through five, Jesus used the picture of the wine and the branches to capture this same truth, which the disciples were going to come to understand in a little while from now. In John fifteen, verses one through five, you know, and I'll just reference a few of these scriptures here in this passage. He said, "I am the wine. My father is the husbandman." He said, "You." other branches and then he explained to us that the branches would bear fruit and the father you know prunes the branches so that we could bear more fruit and uh, the father is glorified when we bear much fruit but think of this picture that Jesus is communicating to us he is the wine we are a branch on the wine that means we are connected to the wine spiritually the analogy is in the natural. The picture is in the natural, the wine and the branches. But the reality of it is in the spiritual. In the spiritual realm, you are spiritually one with Jesus. You're connected to him. His life is flowing in you. What's in the wine, uh, in the, the main trunk or the Main stem of the wine is what is flowing in the branch. So his life, the life of his spirit is what's flowing in you as a branch on the wine. And as branch on the wine, you're expressing the fruit, expressing the, the effect and the impact of the work of his life in you, the work of his spirit in you. We bear the fruit of the life of the wine, of Christ's life in us. We are in him, he is in us and we express the life of Christ through us. And that's what we must understand. That's what we want to walk into, journey into, and live out of this place of our union with Christ so that his life is fully expressed in every aspect and in, in, in every area of our lives. This, will, this is the outcome we are, what we are journeying into through our learning about our identity in Christ. Now we're going to spend a little bit of time in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, and then we'll also pick up the latter part of that chapter. So we're going to spend some time in Ephesians 1 before we close. So the Apostle Paul uh, was, you know, was the primary person who uh, unveiled this mystery of us being in Christ through many of his episodes. And we will spend a lot of time uh, journeying through the episodes. There are over 150 references in the episodes about who we are in Christ, uh, what we have in him, through him, and what, all of that. So we're going to journey through all of these scriptures. But we want to start here in Ephesians chapter one. I just want to highlight, and we're not going to study it in detail, but I want to highlight certain things the Apostle Paul mentions in this first chapter in Ephesians in relation to us being in Christ. So let's read the first 14 verses and I'll just comment on these. Let's read Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesians and faithful in Christ Jesus. So there in the very first verse is that phrase in Christ Jesus. So he's talking about, you know, all of us who are in Christ. So he's talking to a certain people who are in union with Christ. It's to them he's addressing this letter to those who are in Christ Jesus. He continues in verse 2. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, In Christ. Once again, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now we've read 14 verses. I want us to look at certain things. In this passage here, there are about 10 times that the Apostle Paul uses that phrase, in Christ, or a related phrase. Verse 1, he says, in Christ, Jesus, verse 3. In Christ, verse 4, in him. Verse 6, he says, in the beloved. Verse 7, he says, in him. Again, in verse 10, he talks about being in Christ and in him. Verse 11, again, in him. Verse 13, in him and in whom. So several times, over and over again. There's one passage in these 14 verses. At least 10 times, he keeps saying, in Christ, in him, in whom. So he's talking about something, or all that he's talking about has to do of our life. In Christ. The other thing I want to point out from this, these fourteen verses, and if you will look at it very carefully, and I'll just mention this, is that in this passage he uses sixteen descriptors of the believer as they are in Christ, of the believers as they are in Christ. Sixteen descriptors. You know, this is what he refers to as believers. He says, because we are in Him, because we are in Christ, because in whom uh, we have all this. Now, I'll just run through these 16 descriptors. You know, he says, we are blessed. We are chosen. We are holy. We are blameless. We are covered in love. We are predestined for his purposes. We are adopted as children. We are people for his praise. We are accepted in the beloved. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are recipients of abounding grace. We are gathered as one. We are given an inheritance. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are purchased possession 16 different descriptors this is who you are in Christ this is what's happened to you in Christ so this is beautiful this is powerful and if we're going to come back and look at several of these things in depth and what does that mean because all these are descriptors of our identity in Christ and what I want to point out is this he says there in verse 4 he chose us in him before the foundation of Of the world before the foundation of the world, even before the world began, he says, God decided all of this. That means, even before creation, God decided to have a people who would be in Christ and he would bless them with all of this. He would lavish his grace, and this is what he would make them to be, and this is the inheritance he would give to them. He says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This was a work that was determined by God even before the beginning of time. Another important thing to highlight from here, this passage is that in this 14 verses, repeatedly he uses the past tense, meaning this is a finished work. This is not something God is planning to do out in the future. He says this is something God has already done. Let me read out some of this. You know how he uses the past tense. In verse three, he says, "Who has blessed us? Already done." Verse four, he chose us. I mean, it's already done in Him. Verse five, he has predestined us to be adopted. Already done. Verse six, he has accepted us in the beloved. Verse seven, we have redemption. Present tense. Verse eleven, we have obtained an inheritance verse 13 we were sealed with the holy spirit so look at all of this it's all work that has already been done it is a finished work so god's word says it's already done you are not trying to be accepted you're not trying to be loved you're not trying to be redeemed you're not trying to be a chosen one you are a chosen you are blessed. You are redeemed. The work has been finished. So this is the way God works. God finishes the work. He completes the work for us. And then he invites us to live out of that finished work. He says, I have chosen you. Live as somebody is chosen. I have blessed you. Live as somebody who's blessed. I have redeemed you. Live as somebody who's redeemed. I have sanctified you. Live as somebody were sanctified so God completes the work for us in Christ he gives it to us and then he says live out of that now in the same passage what paul says is this in Ephesians 1 verses 9 and 10 he says that God made known to us the mystery of his will and he something that he purposed in himself and then he says that he would You know, the part of this mystery is to gather everything, everyone in Christ. So, what Paul is telling us is, he mentions this here and he talks about it elsewhere as well, that this was a mystery. It was something that was hidden. And of course, the mystery is the person of Christ himself and all that God would do through the person of Christ. One of the things God would do through the person of Christ is that He would gather all in Christ. So, being in Christ, coming into Christ, is part of this wonderful mystery which God has unveiled to us, which God has revealed to us. So, he, you know, in Ephesians 3 and verse 7, He says that this mystery which has been revealed that, that uh, the Gentiles will be partakers of His promise. In Christ. Even Gentiles would be brought into this promise in Christ. So, this promise of being in Christ, this being in Christ, is a mystery that God has unveiled for us. And so, when we read the next verses 15 to 23, Ephesians 1. Verses 15 to 23. In view of of this powerful mystery that has been revealed, of us being in Christ and and our new identity. And Paul uses all these descriptors for a new identity. In Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23, Paul says, I am praying for these Ephesian believers. Believers, I'm praying for you. And I'm praying, he says there in verse 17, that the Father of glory will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In the knowledge of him, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. So he's saying, you know what? Believers, I'm praying for you that God by his spirit will open the eyes of your spiritual understanding so that you can come to know these things, that you may know him, that you may know his purpose, that you may know the inheritance he's given you, and that you may know the power that's available for you. So he says, I want you to know these things. But to know these things, you need the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that is the Holy Spirit, to open the eyes of your understanding, to enlighten the eyes of your understanding. You know, we have mentioned this earlier, that our spirit, a human spirit, has at least seven functions. Uh, we've mentioned these seven functions earlier. I'll just repeat them. The human spirit has a function of conscience of knowing, of communion, of being a container, of identity, of action, and growth. These are different functions of the spirit. But notice, part of the function of the human spirit is to know, it is to receive knowledge, and spiritual understanding. So our spiritual understanding, we must receive revelation of these truths. But what Paul is telling us is this, that revelation is the result of Perception and illumination. And you know, also, you imagine for us to see something, we need two things we need good eyesight and we need light, we need illumination. So, if you're in a dark room, a totally dark, pitch dark room where there's zero illumination, you may have 20 20 vision, but you can't see anything. Why? There is no illumination. There's no light. Or you can flip this around. You could say you're in a room that's perfectly well lit but your vision is blurred you can't see things clearly the problem is not that there is no illumination eyesight is poor for us to have spiritual understanding revelation we need perception the ability to see and we need illumination the enlightening of the holy spirit so our prayer is that as we journey through the scriptures that god will open the eyes of our understanding give us perception, ability to see, that our eyes will not be blurred or dull, but our eyes will be able to see. And there should be the illumination of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, he must illuminate our eyes. So as we study the word of God, that's what we need, that God will give us understanding so that we can receive revelation, which is spiritual understanding of these truths. And lastly, I want to close with this verse. In Colossians 3 and verse 10, Paul teaches us. He says, no, you you've put on the new man who was renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So we have become a new creation in Christ. But this new man needs to be continuously renewed. Like the Passion Translation says, it is continually being renewed. This new man needs to continually grow in the knowledge of the one who has made him new. So the point I want to bear is on our hearts is this, that this study, uh, uh, if, if this is something we must continue to grow in our understanding our revelation of our identity in Christ. And so our prayer must be, as we journey through this study in the weeks to come, you, you and I must continue to pray, God, let the eyes of my understanding be enlightened by the spirit of wisdom and revelation, by the Holy Spirit, so that I will receive revelation. I will receive understanding, spiritual understanding of my identity in Christ or what you have done for me in Christ and show me how to live from that. You know, going back to that story or that illustration of the orphan slum boy, if that orphan slum boy who's now brought into this wealthy family Does not change his thinking. Does not change his behavior. Does not change his lifestyle. You know what? All that has been given to him will not matter much for him. He will still be living at a very low level even though he has everything given to him. Sad to say many believers who don't have this revelation live like that. Journey through life like that. And therefore the world doesn't see what God has really done. The world doesn't get to see what a great work God has done for us in Christ. But if if the world sees it, you know what? They will come running to Jesus. They'll say, we want what you have because that is something nothing in this world can give us. So I challenge you and me as believers, you know, we've got to receive revelation of our identity in Christ and live out of that so that the world can see What an amazing work God has done for us. And it will draw them. You know, the seed is in the fruit. We are branches on the vine. We bear fruit. The seed is in the fruit. The ability to reproduce, to multiply is in the fruit. You and I bear the fruits. The fruit we bear will cause the multiplication of the kingdom of God. So if you want to see the kingdom of God multiplied, we've got to have fruit in our lives. And when that fruit is born, we bear the fruit of Christ's life in us. God's kingdom will be multiplied because in the fruit is a seed for multiplication. That's why this truth is so important. We're going to let the worship team, you know, lead us in a time of worship. Then I'm going to come back and uh, just make a quick announcement. And then we're going to pray together. And I really pray that as we delve into this truth, the truth will transform us. We'll be back right after this time of worship.
0: There's nothing stronger, nothing higher, nothing greater than the name of Jesus. All the honor, all the power, all the glory to the name of Jesus. Nothing stronger Nothing higher Nothing greater Than the name of Jesus All the honor All the power All the glory To the name of Jesus There's nothing stronger Nothing higher, nothing greater than the name of Jesus. All the honor, all the power, all the glory to the name of Jesus. Let's sing it out. There's nothing stronger, nothing higher.
1: Thank you, worship team. Thank you for enabling us just to focus on the Lord. I want to quick make a quick announcement before we get into this time of prayer. Uh, we, our Bible college is ready to resume. Our fall semester starts on August the 2nd. Uh, our campus is closed for uh, the fall semester, August through November. But we have two learning options. We have the online classes which will happen every week, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 12 noon, Indian time, online classes. So those of you who have that time free, you're welcome to join us online. Or we also have the e-learning option, which means you can learn at a time other than the morning. You can learn at whatever time you can meet, it can to you. So our e-learning portal is also live. All 24 courses being offered in the fall semester are also available through our e-learning portal. So I want to encourage you, you can take one or more of the 24 courses, uh, or you can take a full semester load, which is eight courses, uh, and study uh, in the Bible College. And uh, it's not just to get a certificate. I mean, of course, it's useful. The certificate is useful uh, if you want to show it to people. But more importantly, it's the spiritual truth that is imparted and the equipping that you receive by going through a very systematic methodical way of studying the word of God and different themes and subjects on the word of God. So I wanna encourage you, uh, enroll in the Bible college, either do the online classes, morning nine to 12, or in the e-learning portal, study at your own time in the nights or the weekends or whenever it's comfortable for you. Study, do one or more courses. Uh, If you want, you can work towards a certificate at your pace and be equipped, most importantly, to be effective for the kingdom of God. So go to apcbiblecollege.org, enroll. You're welcome. Everybody's welcome. Uh, We already have, uh, at the time that I'm speaking now, we already have 300 students from 40 countries uh, enrolled in the foundations course. Um, And I'm I'm sure that for the fall, we'll have a lot more students coming in. So be a part of this, uh, get equipped, and live effective, powerful lives. For the kingdom of God. Let's take a time, a moment to pray. And as I pray, I want you to invite God to work in your life. You see, the truth that is proclaimed becomes a mold into which your life is being conformed, in which your life is being transformed. Paul writes about this in Romans 6. He says that you were molded by the truth that you heard. That you and I are being shaped, are molded by the truth that we are hearing. So the truth you're hearing is not just a sermon. It's not just a message. It's something that's shaping your life. It's transforming you. It's changing you because it's the power of God being brought into your life. His word is alive and powerful. We want to pray that areas that need change, that areas that need to be shaped and molded in our lives will be molded even as we continue to hear the truth and open up to the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. I want you to be expectant for God to heal you, for God to deliver you, for chains to be broken, for people to be released from oppression, things that are affecting you in your body, in your mind. Expect that to happen in these moments as we pray. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your word is truth, that your word is power, Lord, that where your word is spoken, the Holy Spirit moves uh, in order to confirm the word. Lord, we thank you for the truth we've heard about our identity in Christ. And today I pray that as people listen, God, there will be things that change in the lives of people. I pray right now that chains will be broken. God, chains of rejection that have crippled people, uh, chains of a poor self-image, uh, people who think that they are not worth anything, God, that, that those chains will be broken and they will realize, revelation will come, the illumination of the Holy Spirit will come, letting them know that they are worth something, they are worth everything in the eyes of God, that they are precious, they are chosen, they are accepted, they are, uh, they are redeemed, they are the blessed of God. Father, I pray that there will be a transformation taking place in the lives of people. Father, we pray the chains will be broken of the lives of people and also in the authority of Jesus name I come against every work of the enemy every bondage to sin every oppression of sickness and disease and torment I rebuke it in Jesus name every in the minds of the bodies I rebuke it in Jesus name let there be healing let there be deliverance let God's people be free in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. And we praise you. We bless you, God. Thank you for the work that you are doing in the lives of your people. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much for being with us on the service today. We'd love to hear from you. Please take a moment to send uh, an email. Tell us how these... Uh, the teaching God's word, the ministry that's coming to you, the worship, everything is, is being of blessing to you. You can send an email email to testimony at apcw.org. We look forward to hearing from you. God bless you. Continue strong in your life in Christ. God bless. Bye now. Thank you for listening. We trust this message was a blessing to you. For more free resources, including sermons, sermon notes, publication, please visit apcwo.org. For information on APC Bible College in Bangalore, please visit apcbiblecollege.org. Please remember to download the All People's Church Bangalore app from the App or Google Play Store.